Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Hello. 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 You're listening to a podcast not only of sound, but also of mind. It's Time to Rewind is a podcast that takes a journey into a wondrous land of time loops whose boundaries are that of imagination. I'm your host, Bubba Wheat, and each episode, my guest and I explore these time loops one loop at a time. This stop is Trapped in the Twilight Zone, and this is the second stop at 2020's Season 2, Episode 9, Try Try, starting at the beginning of the episode with a montage of museum masks with creepy music, and ending at 9 minutes and 27 seconds, with Jordan Peele giving his opening narration. Here with me is guest Emily Slade from the Through Dangers Untold podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm glad to have you here. And talking about this uh, this first chunk of this episode, which as as I started writing my notes, I just kept writing and writing and mm-hmm. writing. I could not believe how much is packed into these first nine minutes. Yeah. Um, but, but before I get into that, I, I, I guess I should ask you, um, had had you seen this episode before? Like, what are your thoughts on the episode as a whole? Yeah, no, I hadn't seen the episode at all before. Um, I didn't even know that they had resurrected the Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, I watched part one and then two, and then I literally couldn't wait to see how it <laughs> wrapped up. I was so engrossed and... I was like responding out loud to things that were happening. It was very evocative. So I really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, th- this is one of those episodes where I I enjoyed it the first time that I watched it. And I've been enjoying it more as I keep digging into it because there's mm-hmm. so many layers. And I feel like this is such a well-written episode that... yeah just everything from start to finish and the stuff in this in this first chunk really sets up the later moments um Mm -hmm. the and the turn so well and and yet the um i i suppose i should ask you because i i am curious and i made a pointed effort to get more women to talk about this episode because i i'm curious like as you were watching it, do you do you remember at what point in the episode did your feelings towards Mark go from thinking that he's a nice guy to thinking that he's something more sinister? It's such an interesting question because there's there's a moment where they start to pe- they peel off the first layer with with the water bottle moment, mm. um, and at that point I remember writing "Ooh, nice and thinking like oh okay all right okay okay um and then I wrote another note of like to be I think I know what he's doing and to be honest I would do the same 
And then the part two started and immediately I was like, I take it all back. I am now very wary of this person and quite frightened for Claudia. Um, so the beginning of part two was really when I was suddenly like, oh, God, oh, God, red flag, red flag. And then the flags just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I also noticed at that point that Mark is played by Eddie Brock from Spider-Man 3. So I was yes. like, well, this man cannot be trusted <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's Topher Grace. And I, th I think that most people would probably recognize him from that 70s show where he played <laughs> Eric Foreman, which is like the quintessential, like the real nice guy of nice guys, just this complete dorky guy, but he's a nice guy down at heart. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's the perfect person to bring into this. And, yeah. and I feel like this also is kind of how they should have portrayed Eddie Brock in Spider-Man 3. I, th I think they were going for this to start, but then they... You know, changed, yeah. changed tracks at the end and just completely ruined it. Yeah, it's very nuanced here. It's really clever with how real the writing gets. There there was a bit of dialogue, well, a monologue at the beginning that I was like, ugh, on the nose much. <laughs> but then later on, I was like, oh, no, this is really, this is really good. Great yeah. portrayals of both people, I think. Really good writing. Actually, I, I just remembered, you know, my, my first stop here, I actually talked to the director of this episode, Jen McGowan, and she okay. also mentioned that she noticed that um, men and women really catch the, the turn on Mark mm -hmm. differently, and, and women tend to pick yeah. up on it much quicker than men do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can I can imagine because it's sort of warning signs that we're used to dealing with. It's things that we have been taught within society to notice quite early on. Um, and yeah, it's so funny. I literally forgot this was a time loop podcast. So <laughs> so I went in so cold like, oh, nice. Maybe, oh, oh, I guess it's like a time loop kind of situation. And then I went, oh, yeah, I'm going on a time loop podcast. It will be a time loop situation. Um <laughs> But yeah, as I say, like the it, it was so charming and lovely. And it, it's so funny now that I think about it, even even their like second conversation where he brings up he quotes her like favorite author or genetic yeah. scientist. Uh, as we all have to say. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah. they actually set that up in the montage uh, where he shows that his first three tries or, you know, three of his tries of saving her from the truck. And in the third one, we see that the book that he's carrying is the complete Yanofsky. So even yeah. at that point, it's something that he is working towards. Like he's deliberately reading Yanofsky because at some point she mentioned liking Yanofsky. And so that he's shaping himself into someone that fits into her idea of this perfect guy yeah and this is the thing like as he was doing it I was like wow this this guy is like weirdly un unoriginal for her does that make sense it's like it was already a bit of a warning sign I was like wow they have so much in common like that's crazy and then it's the mark with a c and and even then you're starting to get the undertones of like this and I know it's easy to say now in retrospect when you know 
but it was always really noticeable where you know when they bump into each other at the museum at the very beginning and he's bought her a ticket I was 100% on board I was like oh my god I would marry this man as well like how wonderful um and then very very quickly you're like huh what are you actually about even though that like watching it from you know a nice guy perspective like buying that ticket for her is very nice but if you look at it and and especially like from manipulation tactics mm-hmm. he really is manipulating her even that early i, I mean yeah. really even from the truck incident second yeah but at that moment you know he's he's doing something without her permission you know he's buying this ticket without mm-hmm. asking her domination she, yeah she refuses but he persists mm-hmm. and then on top of that at the end he calls her a monster and mm-hmm. you know he says it in a very joking flirtatious way but that's actually that's negging that's yeah that is absolutely a yeah. tactic it's very interesting to, to manipulate her and make her like increase her need for his approval mm-hmm. and that's like definitely a a tactic that's that's used by by uh, i can't think of the term but you know creeps <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and there's another bit later on when he, uh, he he basically assaults her he uses the oar to like pat her um and then immediately yeah. is like see like I knew that you would get that as a joke whereas others wouldn't and like that's awful because it's like other girls are, are not cool with me casually sexually assaulting them but you are you're one of the good ones you're a good girl like I can sexually assault you and it's fine when did when did you start to get worried about him hey, you know at this point I can't really remember because you know I, mm. I've seen this episode several times already and uh, I know, like, I I think the big moment, which I, I'm going to wait to talk about it in, in the, the next episode, because mm-hmm. I, I think it it's really that, that second chunk where the, the turn started for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to, you know, still, again, jump back a bit, because there is so much in this dialogue. And even um, with um, an actress playing Claudia's Kylie Bunbury... And she is talking into her phone at the beginning about taking the museum over the course of three visits. And in this visit, she's specifically trying to look at the mask as objects. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that because in a way that actually, I feel like that connects her to Mark. Because Mark, he's at the point in his time loop where he is looking at people as objects. Yeah. And she also talks about the de- deliberate experimental compartmentalization, looking at this one visit. And I feel like that's also a technique that Mark is using, where he's just, he's deliberately compartmentalizing his time loop, where he is specifically focused on Claudia right now, as this is a potential escape for his time loop. But at the same time, it's also a, like a sexual conquest for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, The more she was talking at the beginning, the more I did start to be like, God, I really need I really need to like hone in on what she's saying, because I imagine she's establishing 
the sort of overarching themes. Um, and I was getting distracted by the masks because I was hyper aware of like colonialization and a lack of specificity surrounding them. And I wanted to go deeper into that, but I sort of missed the 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 sort of rest that she was saying. But I guess the masks itself, um, you know, he is he is wearing a mask of of the complete construction of the perfect ideal person for you. Um, and that all builds up both literally and metaphorically, I guess. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, and again, early in her uh, phone dictation, she often she offhandedly mentions that, you know, she can let her let herself feel some feel things sometimes. Mm. And that that's another like clue into her mental state showing that she's vulnerable and yeah. she's more susceptible to Mark's to Mark's charms. Mm-hmm. And she also um, ends that section of dictating by lamenting that she has a future of writing essays forever, forever rather than being able to live as a person. And I, I think that's also connected to the episode because without knowing it, she is trapped in this day over and over. Like Mark's the one that's reliving it and mm-hmm. he knows that he's trapped, but she's also trapped, but unaware that she's trapped because she fully resets each day and she is forever writing this essay yeah about the masks and she's not able to live as a person and that's that's something that I I feel like Mark is is it's what he really needs to learn in order to get out of the loop and it's something that he doesn't do by the end of this episode either yeah it's it's interesting um without skipping too much to the end I did I liked that there wasn't a major I I liked that he didn't learn his lesson if you get what I mean like Mm -hmm. and I guess that's where the sort of horror and tragedy comes from but I liked that it was a time loop where we weren't all caught up in this self-absorbed oh what's the purpose what's the meaning what do I need to do to get out of it and it ended up becoming something quite I don't know. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent now, but I if I have a note here where I've basically written this is Groundhog Day, which, which is no no offense because I I think I know that you I think you covered it before on a podcast. It is a movie I do not care for because of it's this this is how I see Groundhog Day. It's it's how it it truly is. It's creepy and predatory behavior, and it's uh, not it's, nice. Yeah, I, I think that good. Groundhog Day is you know creepy and predatory up until the like the last 15 minutes yeah yeah where it has to sort of <laughs> calm down otherwise you won't root for anyone mm. um but yeah so I really enjoyed that this was a sort of real version of that where we weren't caught up in oh what oh, what have I done instead it's like well what are you doing and what you're doing and what you think you need to do are atrocious and I adored that she was not afraid to stand her ground with that. But again, I'm I'm skipping ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and and I did want to mention um, because you know I, I looked behind the scenes a little bit. I already recorded the the next three episodes of of him trying uh, initially trying to save her from the truck. And one thing that I noticed is his outfits 
in mm. each of those repetitions are different. So I wanted to yeah. talk a little bit about his outfit during this time, which is, you know, he's wearing a beanie and he has his scarf that, that was in the the last of the three. Um, but this time it's tucked into his jacket and it's zipped all the way up. And mm -hmm. he's wearing a, a different set of glasses, that, and these glasses are frameless. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting that he that he does continually change his appearance slightly, where he yeah. just makes you know little changes here and there during each of his days, at least from what they show us, because you know we don't see a lot of his previous days were only kind of given hints. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this version has the most layers. It's like it's like a T-shirt, a flannel shirt and a jacket and the glasses. And, and they gradually get peeled off one by one as well. Yeah. And then as he walks off, you know, she Claudia talks into her phone that she's met her future husband. Mm -hmm. And it, I think that is so funny in a way that to see yeah. where she is at the beginning of the episode versus where she is at the end of the episode yeah definitely you really do get caught up in it it's I as I say like I I don't really know the twilight zone um like really so I was aware that it needed to go somewhere kind of dodgy um but I didn't know quite how bad it was going to be so I really was caught up in the sort of romantic aspect at the start and I really did fall for it for like five minutes and I think that's a real testament to the acting and the writing that you you're, you're immediately invested so then it's even worse when the, the layers start peeling off yeah and, and again like another mirror in in the dialogue is whenever Claudia goes into the the museum and she's looking at the masks and she's still dictating this is this is before Mark comes up to her again and inside the museum and she asks herself if the masks are funny or if they're terrifying mm -hmm. and if those reactions are based on a cultural bias and I, I yeah. think that that's another instance of the dialogue just being incredibly spot on but at the same time, it's like so early in the episode that most people aren't really paying attention. It's just like blah, blah, words, blah, blah, you know, yeah. dissertation kind of thing, mm -hmm. even though it really speaks to the episode as a whole. Yeah. And and I really love, like, the more I dig into this episode, the more I'm really loving it and, and how much there is to dig into, even though... You know, this this is only a like a 40, 50 minute episode. Yeah, there's so much to think about. Like, is there is there ever a time where he could succeed with this course of action? And we know they have succeeded in 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 sort of ways before. But fundamentally, is it is it something that could ever truly succeed because of fundamentally what it is um and and it makes you question whether you'd be happy in that situation um you know you, you within society we've been 
fed this idea that he's clinging on to of romantic love and if you do this then you're owed that sort of thing and it's quite frightening when you think how how you would react in that situation i don't know you know something that i've um that i have brought up and and i finally looked it up is this this episode really reminds me of like the the nice guy or the nice guy syndrome which is you know i did a quick search and it is something that has become a turn and and especially in terms of the internet and yeah. and i and i do love that in jordan peele's narration at, at the end of this section at the end of this chunk he does specifically mention that it's a blind date not set up by the internet and so he mm. even though that there's no real reference to the internet anywhere in this i like that he, he that he mentions that because it it is a reference to something that happens very often on the internet and it's the uh the description is you know the the nice guy syndrome is used to describe men who view themselves as prototypical nice guy but whose nice deeds are in reality only motivated by attempts to passively please women into a relationship and or sex yeah and so it it's not being a nice guy because it's the right thing to do it's being a nice guy with an ulterior motive and that is and you can spot them because they always refer to themselves as nice guys yeah exactly and you know i don't think he he ever says it in these first two chunks but in the end of the episode he definitely refers to himself as a nice guy mm, yes yeah uh yeah he in this one he just sort of mentions that he's the per- the perfect guy um right at the end of part two mm. he calls himself that but um yes the nice guy is something that's been around for several years now um they used to come with a costume but now they're just everywhere and it's again stemmed from this idea that you are owed something if you do if you tick the boxes you get the the girl as it were because that has been perpetually pushed onto everyone for years uh from various different places and like all, all those 80s and 90s romantic yeah. comedies yeah if you play the song outside of her house she'll come running if you interrupt the wedding she'll be grateful um all of these things that don't ever take into consideration that women are human people um <laughs> it's h- horrible it's so horrible it's you know it's it's worse than if the person was just an asshole and there's a really lovely speech in this about being attracted to assholes that was another huge red flag for me in terms mm. of this character but i thought the speech was nice and it's so unfair for her because what seems so genuinely sweet and and again it really ties into this idea of like he, he it was scripted he knew exactly what he was doing none of it was real um which is a shame because you want that perfect filmic play of events to happen um which is why she probably is immediately swept up with gosh there goes my future husband like that was amazing 
And it was amazing because it was all a lie. And that's horrible, but that's reality. Yeah. It's a bummer. <laughs> and I, I do think, I think that, especially in this first section, that it does have the the potential to throw people off because it it is very dense and it's it's very pretentious even though they like call it out as mm -hmm. you know the the fact that they're being overly pretentious and he's like you know just give me one more chance like uh, you know usually i don't get past the first quote and <laughs> then he does the second quote which i i believe uh, i didn't um like look at that dialogue closely but i i always got the impression that she actually doesn't want him to go on with the second quotes, but then he does anyway. Yeah, I think she says, like, something along the lines of, like, I don't really want you to say that, but go on then, like, yeah, as I a think... joke, but it is very much like, no, no one wants to hear you quote anything ever, like... Well, I think she no says one... it, like, as a double negative, so that it's, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't not want it or i definitely wouldn't not want it or something like that so it's yeah it's a negative but it's like a double negative which is proof positive <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but i did want to to call out the you know two of the quotes that, that he does say and, and those pretentious quotes that uh what is the first one is uh the one from his book which his book is titled the lords of imbecility which is, which is a fictional book. It's not a real book. It's just a something made up for this episode. Mm -hmm. And that, that quote is, what is wrong in the end, which never comes, which comes again. And he, and he stops right there and, and like talks about the line break, which that was something that I, I didn't quite understand what the point of that was, whether it makes him seem like maybe he doesn't really like he doesn't truly understand it or if he thinks that she wouldn't understand it that he has to point out that there's a line break there uh, almost like you know mansplaining yeah is it also a reference to you know there's a there's a break much like how there's a break in their relationship every day where he has to go back to the beginning is it like that literal but almost definitely there's mansplaining in there. Yeah, and then, it's, uh, which comes again and again, lap, lap, lacking, lapping like waves. And, and that is yet another reference to this, him being in this time loop. Because mm. he is like the ocean, which he just keeps pounding at her over and over again like waves just trying again and again trying to wear her down even though and in a way he he kind of does because each time he's able to get deeper into her psyche but at the same time you know she is technically unchanged it must be frustrating mm -hmm. like he talks about how long he's been in this time loop and I'm kind of shocked it takes him the thousands and thousands of days that we're at before he starts doing the things he does well, my, at the climax. My um, guess is that I don't think that he met Claudia on day one of his time loop. Mm. I think that he met Claudia at, you know, like maybe day 
300 or 400. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once he zeroed in on her, then he spent hundreds of days trying to focus on her. Yeah. Where he's like, you know, I've tried all these other times and it, it does make me think that, you know, I don't think that he's been trying to get Claudia from day one in his time loop. I, I think that that's something that he kind of came at later on and then yeah and and assumed like in the movies that this is how you get out yeah he's like this is my reader mm. and let's see the the last note i have for this episode oh wait, i did want to also mention the other uh, you know pretentious quote which is difficult to say is absurdity is the too true truth a truth so true you put it in quarantine which I think is, it's just the quintessential pretentiousness that it is, it's pure absurdity. <laughs> and it just, it's, it's a mouthful. And it's something that nobody would ever in their right mind say in casual conversation. And I think that's, that's the point in, in this context. It's like, he's trying to fit this quote in to this, what he's trying to make into a romantic museum date but it doesn't yeah. really fit again creepy weird <laughs> and then the the last thing that happens right towards the end is you know she talks about that she's looking at masks specifically towards reincarnation and i think that's you know that's another um you know allusion to repetition and and in a way mark is reincarnating himself every single day mm. into the same day over and over again yeah and and i really love that and you know like, like i said this the more i dig into this the more i really love it and the more that there is just so much to unpack just in these you know in these first nine and a half minutes yeah it's it's so it's so deep and i i only did watch it the once through but i'd be interested to go back as i imagine all time loop stuff reveals there's always so much more to pay attention to the second time round so did you have anything else for this uh, this first chunk um no again i didn't realize that jordan peel had been the one to resurrect the twilight zone and that the twilight zone had an on-screen narrator so i was a bit taken aback when he appeared on screen um and i wrote oh is that jordan peele and then i googled it and i went yes it is is that something he does every episode or just for this one and then i googled it again and i was like oh it's every episode i won't i won't read too much into that then <laughs> yeah and you know something that i i made the decision to do with these these two jordan peele episodes because with the classic series I was only really able to dig into three of the classic episodes and watching them really made me want to watch more. So I, I decided for each of these, I'm also going to have just a brief discussion about one of the other classic episodes that don't have anything to do with time loops. And so the, the one that I chose for this episode is uh, from the first season. It's called The Lonely. And in this episode, it is um, Jack Warner plays a prisoner and uh, in, in the future, and he's sent to a planet 
or an asteroid, I guess they call it. It's basically this desert asteroid where it's the future's version of solitary confinement, where he's sentenced to 50 years for um, for homicide, even though he claims that it's that it was self-defense. And his, uh, I guess, like prison warden, which comes every three months with supplies, uh, takes pity on him and gives him this gift of an android, a, a woman android. And so through the episode, it's about him. You know, he initially rejects the android. It's like, you're a machine, you're fake. And then she starts crying. And then that's immediately like... Uh, makes him feel sympathy for her and then over the course of I think um, a year or so he falls in love with her and starts to think of her as a real person and then his warden comes back and he's like oh you've been released you've been all these people have been pardoned they've discontinued this version of solitary confinement but you're only allowed 15 pounds of luggage and he's like okay, you know, me and Alicia, me and the robot's going to get on board. And he's like, no, you only have 15 pounds of luggage. And it ends with the the prison warden shooting Alicia in the face and revealing that, you know, she's just, um, you know, circuitry underneath her face for him to snap out of it and, and realize that, oh yeah, she she was just a thing. She's not a real person. And this this was an episode that that I had seen before a while ago. It, it's one that I remembered, and I don't think it's it's generally considered you know like top tier Twilight Zone, but I I really enjoyed it, and and I picked this one as well, just because of the connection to this episode where it is it's a relationship, but it's based on something that's not real, and in in the classic episode's case, you know, she it was not real. She is just circuitry and programming, and she is basically, and in a way, she is almost more like Mark because she is programmed to more or less become an extension of uh, Jack Warner's character. And, you know, she becomes this, like, perfect companion because that's exactly how she's designed, because she... You know, likes everything that he likes, and she is interested in everything that he's interested in, and I I like that parallel, and mm. so that that's that's why I chose the, this episode to to talk about. That's had you, cool. Had you heard about this episode at all before? No, literally, Twilight Zone is um, William Shatner on a plane with a gremlin, and like that's it. <laughs> Um, that's all I know about the Twilight Zone at all. But I did do the, I read the Wikipedia summary for this one. And um, yeah, I found that very interesting. I wonder what the social commentary from the, the what late 50s, early 60s yeah. um, is on that. Because, yeah, in theory, that sounds ideal and perfect. But the, the captain is very much of the opinion of like, that's not real. That's your loneliness, um, which is quite nice in a weird way sounds quite violent as well shooting her like full on in the face to expose her circuitry and stuff that's all i have for this episode i'd like to thank you for joining me 
And why don't you go ahead and, and take a minute to let everybody else know where they can find you online. Yes. So um, Through Dangers Untold is on Facebook and Instagram and uh, Twitter. I think at Untold Danger. Um, we're breaking down labyrinth scene by scene. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Emily Slade one and on Instagram at Emily Slade 001. And as always, I am Bubba Wheat, and you can find me at flightstightsmovienights.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat. You can find this show, It's Time to Rewind, on Anchor.fm, as well as anywhere else where you listen to podcasts. I also have a Facebook group, It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group, where you can come and discuss episodes as they come out, and also have discussion on other time loop movies and TV shows as, as they come out. And uh, until next time, I will still be here, trapped in the Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. So light for your approval. Another dimension. So light for your shadow. Another dimension. So light for your shadow. Another dimension. self. So light for your shadow. Another Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval the Twilight Zone. You want to hear another? I don't, specifically not. Nobody usually lets me get through one quote, so I thought I might kind of press <laughs> okay. my luck. So. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Absurdity <laughs> is the too true truth. The truth so true, we put it in quarantine. <laughs>